seated everyone. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 3, Old Testament prophet Ezekiel chapter 3. It's so good to see you all this morning. For those of you visiting, uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and we have been on a little mini-series looking at the issue of justice. We started two weeks ago uh, where we talked about, looked at a proverb and a couple of the Old Testament prophets. Last week we talked about uh, and heard about the Good Samaritan story and compassion, and um, today we're going to look to Ezekiel to get some direction as it pertains to uh, justice. Really, the title of this is, I Sat Where They Sat, in Ezekiel chapter 3. So let's pray, let's invite the Holy Spirit. We just sang, you know, my heart, Lord, speak what is true, and uh, so we want to hear that which is true, we want to hear really the heart of God and how that's to shape our lives and the way we live in the world today. And so let's pray, let's invite the Spirit of God to speak to us as we enter into this passage today. Father, thank you for gathering your people uh, to worship you this morning. And Lord, we want to hear your voice now through the pages of Scripture. And so open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord. And Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to see how you are moving and active in our lives. Lord, we want to say yes to you and to your kingdom. And so we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we started off this series on justice. And from the beginning, I mentioned that we need to broaden our understanding of justice. Because when we usually think of justice, we tend to limit it to the courtroom. Justice in our culture tends to be limited to punishing criminals for bad deeds. And so when someone does a bad thing and they get convicted of it, we say justice has been done. On the other side, when someone does a bad thing and they get away with it, kind of like what the Brazilians are thinking about some of our American swimmers this past week, we say there has been a miscarriage of justice. But biblical justice is more than just punishment for wrongdoing. We need to broaden our understanding of justice. And so I introduced to you a Hebrew word called the mishpat. And this word, biblically speaking, has a range of meaning that it's important for us to grasp as we think about what it means to be followers of Jesus. Uh, Tim Keller says it this way, that this word mishpat is giving people what they are due, whether punishment, protection, or care. I came across a definition this week that I thought filled this out a little bit more, which I appreciate it, where it says that to do justice means to render each what is due. Justice involves harmony, flourishing, and fairness, and it is based on the image of God in every person, the imago Dei that grants all people inalienable dignity and infinite worth. To simplify it a little bit more, what if we said it this way, that justice is doing for others what we would want done for us. Doing for others what we would want done for us. And so we as the people of God are to be concerned about justice because it is at the heart of who God is. I heard it said that justice is rooted in the character of God, established in the creation of God. 
mandated by the commands of God, present in the kingdom of God, motivated by the love of God, affirmed by the teachings of Jesus, reflected in the example of Jesus and carried on today by those who are moved and led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. And so to be a Christian is to care about justice. And so with this as a little framework for our time today, I think it's important to, to take a look at a situation that's affecting many people in Queens and some new lifers. There's a heated conversation going on about a homeless shelter in Maspeth, Queens. In Maspeth, just a couple of miles from here, uh, there's been an uproar over the past week or so because the city is planning on adding another homeless shelter to the community where the Holiday Inn uh, is. They want to create a homeless shelter at that space there. And we've experienced that our own here at New Life in Elmhurst where the Pan Am has become uh, a homeless uh, shelter. Now, I want to say that I'm not here to say exactly what should be done because first of all, I don't live in Maspeth. Second, I'm not in the loop about all the issues and the intricacies pertaining to the conversation. And third, uh, to truly do do justice to everyone in the community requires a collaboration in ways that contribute to the mutual flourishing of existing residents as well as the homeless community. But I will say this, that justice begins with a certain posture. And when the homeless and the poor are being talked about like they're subhuman and not image bearers of God, when the poor are seen as other, we are on the wrong side of the argument. Because justice requires us to see those we encounter as women and men made in the image of God, loved by God, made by God. And that's what we're going to look at today. Justice requires us to get up close into someone's life. Justice requires us to get uh, up front in a person's life. But justice is not just about fairness. Justice is about flourishing, especially relationships that flourish. And, and justice occurs when we don't see and relate to a person accordingly. Justice occurs when we begin to see someone and uh, engage someone as someone who is made and loved by God. And so throughout the course of the series, we've, we've examined the past two weeks some of the important elements of justice, that to live just lives means that our lives must be uh, cultivated by prayer, that to do justice means sometimes that we must protest that which is unjust, that to do justice means that we must have compassion to enter into the pain of someone, to do justice means that we are to model advocacy, to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. But what I want to unpack today as we look at this passage in Ezekiel is this simple line that faithful presence precedes justice. Faithful presence precedes justice. And we're going to look at this message today in this text and see that this applies to all of us in this room, no matter where you are in life today. This message is for police officers in our church who are looking to work for restorative justice in a nation that is filled with a lot of tension. This message is for those who work with immigrants who are trying to help undocumented immigrants and, and folks that are trying to acclimate or, or just immigrants in general acclimate to a new reality. This message is for educators 
Those of you who are looking to provide uh, equity of social access to those who are disadvantaged because of the color of their skin or because of the home they grew up in. This message is for those who care about the poor in our community. This message is for those who want to see a better way forward with race relations. This message applies to all of us in this room. And so today is more of a guidelines kind of message. I unpacked the last couple of weeks today. We want to just get as, as clear and practical moving forward. How do we live just lives? And Ezekiel shows us the way in chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. God speaks to Ezekiel. And this is what it says, go now to your people in exile and speak to them, say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. Then the spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound as the glory of the Lord rose from the place where it was standing. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. If you have no clue what this means, read chapter one, all right? Read chapter one. What kind of wheels? Is that Mercedes wheel? What kind of wheels? Read chapter one. The spirit then lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit. Spirit, you want to underline that if you have a Bible, with the strong hand of the Lord on me. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kabar River. And there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days. Uh, one translation says, in silence for seven days, deeply distressed. At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. The book of uh, Ezekiel tells the story of the people of God in exile. At one point in their existence, they lived in their own home. They worshiped their God in the temple. But because of their rebellion, they are overtaken by a foreign army. And they're moved into captivity. And so here they are far from the land. But even though they were far from the temple, God had a word for them. And I love that wherever you are in life, far from the building, far from wherever, God will always have a word for you. And so God raises up Ezekiel to be his prophet. He raises him up to speak, to address injustice, to call his people to repentance. Because the injustice that the people of God were engaged in provoked the anger of God. Ezekiel 9, 9 says this very clearly and plainly that the sin of the people of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of bloodshed and the city is full of injustice. And so Ezekiel is about to go. The Bible says that he went with bitterness and anger in his spirit. And so he's about to go speak to people. I imagine he is, before he leaves his house, he's on Facebook and he posts, I'm about to leave, judgment's about to fall, hashtag prophecy, I'm about to go out and let people know something. <laughs> and so Ezekiel leaves his house and he's about to speak this word, but he's going in anger and in bitterness of spirit. But here's the issue at hand here. He was going to speak without first understanding. He was going to fix without being fully informed. He was going to prophesy without getting the full perspective. He was going to speak without first listening. And it was only when he got up close to the situation that his anger and his bitterness began to change. 
And this is one of the more important lessons for us as we think about justice and as we think about flourishing relationships because you and I know what it's like to speak without first understanding. And you know what happens when you speak without first understanding. The book of James lays it out to us. This is why be quick to listen and slow to speak. Why? Because we get angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and become slow to get angry. And so Ezekiel gets close to the situation. He gets close to the people. He gets close to their problems. And the closer he got, his perspective began to change. And we learn a very important lesson that I heard just a couple of weeks ago from a pastor out in Atlanta, a guy named Andy Stanley, where he said this, that the further you are from the problem, the simpler the solution appears. The further you are from a problem, the simpler the solution appears. And it's easy to offer solutions from a distance. We do it all the time. We say, if I were the president, I'll tell you what I would do. If I managed the Mets, I'll tell you what I would do. If I was in that situation, I'll tell you what I would do, but, but when, the further you are from a problem, the simpler the solution appears. But the closer you get, the more nuanced it is, the more complicated it is, the more difficult it actually is because life is not black and white. Life is much more complex than that. And the closer you get, the more difficult the situation appears. And so Ezekiel moves close to the people of God. He moves close to the, exile, uh, to the exiles. He sits down with them for seven days in silence, overwhelmed. And Ezekiel here in this passage demonstrates a faithful presence that precedes justice because I like how the King James Version says it. It says that he sat where they sat. He sat presence, faithful presence means that we sit where people sit. I sat, he says, where they sat. It's only when you get up close to someone's life that you can begin to see what the prophet Marvin Gaye said, what's going on. Who wants to sing that right now? Let's the <laughs> worship team, come up here, let's sing. Ezekiel, for those of you like who, uh, uh, we'll, we'll pray at the end of the service and, and send you a link. Ezekiel sat where they sat. And before we do anything related to justice, we must sit where people sit. Look at what's happening right now in Milwaukee or any other city that's in chaos. A politicians might come for a couple of hours. They might do a photo op. They may ask a question here and there, but you're not going to know how to respond when you're simply stopping by. You need to sit where people sit. You have to understand history. You have to hear story. You must do your homework. When you look at what the tension that's happening in different cities around the world, you can't really understand what's happening or know the way forward until you sit where 
people sit. The problem though is in our day is our culture, we suffer from a particular syndrome that I've named this week. And this is the syndrome that we experience. I call it temporary injustice outrage syndrome. (laughs) And we all have it. This temporary injustice outrage syndrome. We see something on the news. We see something on social media and we are outraged about it. We are angry about it. Like Ezekiel, we are moved with bitterness and with anger in our spirit. And 10 minutes later, we're showing cat videos. (laughs) We're posting stuff on what's happening, fun stuff that's happening. And I'm guilty of this too as well. Because we we have this temporary, we get angry for a moment and we just move on. But Ezekiel sits where they sit. They sat for seven days. Days He enters into their problem. He is in close proximity to the people, close proximity to the problem. And not only does he enter in, he just doesn't sit there. It says that he is silent. And if we're going to offer a word from God to the problems in our culture, to the problems in our workplaces, to the problems in our families, we must first be silent and sit where people sit. But I want you to notice that when Ezekiel sits there and he's silent, it doesn't stop there. He is silent to the point of grief. He's distressed. And we don't know exactly why he's grieved. Maybe uh, he's grieved over what he saw. He saw their condition and he was grieved by it. Maybe he was sad or grieved because the enormity of the situation. He's saying this is a really big problem and he's distressed by it. Maybe he was grieved because of how he came to the exiles in bitterness and in anger of spirit. Maybe it was all of the above. Maybe he saw their rebellion and their sin. He was just grieved by it. But until we sit where people sit and until we get to the point where we are grieved, we are not ready to speak. And so in this respect, Ezekiel is like Jesus, because Jesus models this for us. If there's anyone who could have come immediately and began to speak and began to work and began to to push back injustice, it would be Jesus. But Jesus doesn't wait for seven days. Jesus is there for 30 years before he even speaks. He's hearing stories. He's analyzing the situation. He's eating with people. He's recognizing the problems. And practicing justice requires faithful presence. And so whether today God is calling you to address uh, poverty or racial injustice or human sex trafficking, whether it's someone helping someone in their marriage or helping children that are at disadvantage, or whether it's addressing something in your workplace or in the school that you're in. And even in this uh, wild political season, the question is, what does it look like to have just conversations that even in our conversations, we're not doing violence against each other? How do we cultivate this kind of life where we are living just lives, pushing back injustice? Ezekiel shows us the way. And I want to just summarize just five action steps that really flow throughout the book of Ezekiel and flow in this passage here. And if we mess up any of these, the flow of this, we're going to mess it up altogether. And so listen carefully to how Ezekiel moves forward. And I want to just share five marks of, of faithful presence for us today. Five marks of faithful presence. 
as you think about whatever situation that you are in today. The first is this, that if we're going to have a faithful presence that works for justice, we must be, first of all, spirit-led. The Bible says that Ezekiel was sent by the Spirit. And if we're going to make a difference in the world and address the problems in our world, oh man, we better be sent by the Spirit. Ezekiel, I love it, doesn't say he sent himself. Ezekiel doesn't say, you know what? I see the problems. I'll address this. Ezekiel waits until he is sent by the Spirit. And the problems of this world are too big to try to address it without God. Amen. It's too big. It's too complicated. The issues at your job, the issues in your home, the issues in our country, the issues in our city, they are way too big to do it in our own strength. We need the strength of God. And so Ezekiel is sent by the Spirit. We need to cultivate a life with God in prayer. We need to be hearing the voice of God in prayer. We need to be sent by the Spirit. This is why this past Tuesday and this coming Tuesday, we're teaching on prayer and how to cultivate a life with God so that we can hear when God calls us, so that we're not going in our own strength. We're going in the strength that God sends us. It says Ezekiel is spirit-led. He is sent by the Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. Ezekiel is spirit-led, but Ezekiel sits where they sit. That you can't work for justice, the kind of flourishing life that the world longs to see without moving close to people. We need to get up close to people. One of the joys uh, of new life is, is, is getting close to people, especially the, the poor and the vulnerable. I love the food pantry ministry that we have. And what I love about uh, what leaders in our church and what we've done as a community together is that we don't just give out food to those in need, which is a wonderful thing to do. And I'm glad that we're doing a lot of it. And what I love and appreciate in addition to that is that we've created a culture to share meals with the homeless. And when I've been here a few Saturdays to just come in and sit down and share a meal with a homeless man and hear his story and his fears and his troubles, it's only when we begin to sit where they sit that you can even begin to make sense of how to respond. Now, interestingly enough, most of our lives are oriented to move away from others, especially those that are poor and vulnerable. For many Christians, much of life is a strategy to avoid moving close to the poor and powerless. We avoid the poor. And listen, in the schools that we want our children to attend, in the neighborhoods that we want to move in, and this is it's pervasive, it's the reality, but we are oriented towards moving away from the poor but christianity the god that we serve he has it's a total opposite he has a total different strategy where god moves towards to sit where they sit and so we can't understand christianity without understanding the incarnation without understanding to the incarnation the, the latin incarnate in the flesh ezekiel is present to them in the flesh he sits where they sit. 
He moves towards them. And so he's sent by the Spirit. He sits where they sit. And it's important to know that what happens next, it says that he is silent. He doesn't just sit down and after about five minutes say, all right, let me tell you what you need to do. He sits down, it says, for seven days without saying a word. And if there's anything that we need to cultivate in our culture, with all the tensions that exist in this political season, in the racial tensions that exist, is the discipline of silence. For seven days, he sits there silent. I imagine he's thinking questions or, or he's, maybe he's asking, maybe I, I want to understand more. I want to hear their story. He sits among them silent for seven days. And until we're able to be silent in the presence of others, we can't really begin to work for justice. Now this came out, um, uh, I've experienced this personally, a powerful conversation I had recently with one of our New Life elders. Andrew Favilla has been at New Life for, uh, for many, many years. Uh, a couple of months ago, he asked to have, share a meal with me. And I said, absolutely, and we sat down and we shared a meal together. And after we're talking about, uh, you know, what, probably, probably the Mets, I forget what we were talking about, Andrew, the Mets or something and how terrible things are, um, the conversation shifted to what he wanted to address. And so he made an observation. He follows me on Facebook. We, we see each other's posts and what have you. And this was during the time where there's a lot of tensions that's happening, police brutality, uh, violence against the police, a lot of tensions happening in our world. And he noticed that when I post on Facebook, and if you notice on, I post on Facebook, especially during the season there, that I was speaking very direct words as it pertains to police brutality. I was speaking very direct. So Andrew wanted to have a conversation with me. And he said when he, when I, and I got permission from him to share this, so I'm not just putting Andrew in the spot here. Well, I, I said, he said when, he, when I would post these uh, posts, that he would have a reaction, like he would be unsettled with uh, what, what I was posting. He's the son of a police officer. And he had just tensions that came. So he said, he said Rich, I, I would see your post and I get angry and, and what have you. But he said, you know what I've never did? I, I never asked the question. I never said, Rich, what, what was it like for you to grow up as a man of color in East New York, Brooklyn? surrounded by police officers, mostly white police officers in East New York. What was your experience like growing up? And what I so appreciate about that, and I got to share just my experience growing up as a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old, and the tensions I experienced being um, a young man of color. And, share, and he began to share as a son of a police officer the fear that he had. Is my father going to come back home? And the, and, the, and the weight that he had to carry. And I tell you, it, was, it became a holy moment as we were eating waffle fries and stuff. It was like, this is really wonderful. It became a holy moment where he's asking, silent. And what I appreciate about Andrew, and he modeled for really for us as a church, that as I'm sharing, he, he did oh, but what about this though? He listened. He sat in silence and then share it with me. And I thought, I, we bonded a little bit more. We were able to understand each other a little bit more. And I thought, what a wonderful model for our church. What a wonderful model for the people of God. 
That we can be sent by the Spirit, that we can sit, but we, unless we are silent, we're not going to move towards justice at all. We're not going to move towards flourishing relationships at all. We must be silent. It's only when we are silent that we can really understand the fears that people carry. We are in a culture, listen, we, we see people voting for Trump and we see people voting for Hillary and, and we get crazy. We go, how could you vote for her? How could you vote for him? And then we unfriend people and we just, we leave it at that. And we do it in the name of Jesus too. Lord, I want to just stay saved, so let me just get rid of this person here. But, but what if someone you disagreed with and who they're voting for if they made that public, what if you began to hear the fears that they had that is really speaking to why they're voting for this person and really sat with the anxiety that they're holding that's informing their vote? What if we sat down with one another instead of just judging from a surface perspective? and began to see what's happening beneath the surface and had substantial conversations that actually had weight to them, that actually uh, contributed to human flourishing and bonding and relationship towards one another. What if we took the time to ask questions beneath the surface? Ezekiel sits down and he is silent. What if this week we were able to someone that you disagree with on social media, on some what if, and, that, and, and something is driving you, what if you were to say, you know what, can we have a phone conversation? I want to understand more. What if we said, can we meet in person because I, I just want to understand a little bit more of your perspective? What if we, if you said, Rich, I'm not doing that. What if you simply inbox them and ask them a question outside of the public view? Ezekiel sits where they sat in silence and unless we are able to listen deeply to the fears and to the realities of people's experiences we're not going to move towards justice at all until we understand what it's like to be an immigrant in this country until we really understand what it's like to be economically poor in this country until we understand what it's like to be an African-American in this country and the history of slavery in this country, we're not going to move forward with justice at all until we begin to sit where people sit in silence. But it doesn't stop there. Ezekiel is sent by the Spirit. Ezekiel sits where they sit. Ezekiel is silent. But then it says he's distressed. He's, Ezekiel is filled with sorrow. He's sorrowful. And until we get to the point where we're able to grieve with people who have felt marginalized, grieve with people who have felt oppressed, grieve with people who have been the recipients of unfairness, until we're able to be sorrowful with them, we're still not ready to do justice. We're still not ready. Until we're able to enter into that and, and grieve and lament with them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said this in the height of, of uh, a Jewish Holocaust and what's happening in Germany, he says, only he who cries for the Jews is permitted to sing Gregorian chant. 
In other words, if you're not grieving with those who are being oppressed here in Germany, you, are, you, you can't even sing any worship songs. Only he who grieves, who cries for the Jews, is permitted to sing Gregorian chant until we come to the place of deep sorrow, of feeling what people feel, of grieving with them. We're still not ready to do justice. And so Ezekiel is sent by the Spirit. Ezekiel sits where they sit. Ezekiel is silent. Ezekiel is sorrowful. And then it is out of that place where Ezekiel speaks. And it's only then when he speaks. And you note, note here, when Ezekiel speaks, he doesn't say nice things. If you read the story, it's not like he was so filled with the Holy Spirit that he just had nice things to say. He had some hard things to say. He was calling his people to repentance. It wasn't like Ezekiel was like, everybody, you're beautiful, everything's wonderful. He's not living in illusion. He is speaking the truth. But because he was spirit-led, because he sat with them for seven days in silence, because he was grieving, his words flowed from a different place. He started out in anger and in bitterness. He left at a much different place. What's interesting about our reality is that we do the opposite. Let me explain what we do. Let me explain what I do. This is Ezekiel's flow. We do the exact opposite. Ezekiel, if, if we were Ezekiel, we'd hear about a problem and we speak first of all. I got to get this off my chest. <laughs> we'll say something wrong and then we'll feel sorrowful. Oh, how could I do that? What's, that, was just, um, that was just wrong. And then we say, I don't want to cause any more problems, so I'm just going to be silent. I'm just going to be silent. I don't want to just mess anybody else up. And then maybe we'll apologize. Can I just sit and apologize? Can I just sit there? And then we want to pray and ask God to help us. <laughs> and so we do it opposite. Ezekiel calls us to a different way. Ezekiel calls us, to, if, if we're going to address anything, we must be spirit-led. We must sit where they sit. We must enter into silence. We must be sorrowful and feel what they feel. And it is only at that point when we can truly grieve and speak words of life from God. How well do you listen? How well are you sitting where people sit? Let me close with this. In college, I had a roommate named John Hanna. John was a... A Christian from Egypt and he was more one of the more charismatic joyful loving men I've ever met he had a heart for people who really struggled especially with depression just significant struggle he would he had a heart for them he would get involved in their lives a couple of years after graduation he would die in a car accident some 10 years ago and as people were sharing stories about him and the impact that he had in their lives. I heard one story that I'll never forget. It's a story of a young man, late teens or early 20s, I can't recall, but he was depressed. He couldn't get out of bed. And his mother was very concerned for her son. And her son would not get out of the bed at all, so she began to call a couple of pastors and some friends, some ministers to come over to try to simply help her son get out of the bed. And the pastor would come and he would share some good, helpful, encouraging words. He'd say Bible verses and the kid would not get out of the bed. 
Another pastor would come, another friend would come, and they, they stand at the side of the bed and say, hey, you know, God is with you. They would all the right things to say. The kid would not get out of the bed. And person after person would come. John heard about this, and John said, uh, can I visit the home? The mother said, sure. And he gets to the home, and, and the first thing he does is, is not say anything. He doesn't quote any Bible text. He doesn't preach a message. The, the first thing he does is, is the young man is laying in the bed there, and the first thing he does is he just gets in there right with him and lays down. <laughs> right in the bed. And he began to say, I was depressed too one day. I couldn't get up. I know what it's like to live in this position. And he'd just stay there a couple of hours talking to him. Kid wouldn't talk back. He stayed silent there. And after some time, after sitting where he sat, after being in silence, there came a moment where he said, you ready to get up? And the kid said, yes, I'm ready to get up. And he stood up. And as I thought about the story and the incredible witness of this man, I thought we live in a world that can't get up. People can't get up. And it's only until we sit where they sit, lay where they lay, until we are silent, until we enter into their reality, that people can begin to feel some semblance of life some revitalization, some resurrection. But it's only until we sit where they sit. Isn't this the message of the gospel? That God, creator of all creators, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, comes in human flesh to sit where we sit, to eat what we eat, to be tempted by which we are tempted. He comes in and takes on in human form. He's with us for 30 years. He preaches good news. He dies on the cross. He resurrects in power. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And until we understand this incarnation, God coming in the flesh, until we understand the cross that Jesus had to die to something, until we understand the resurrection that Jesus Christ is making all things new, until we understand the full understanding of this gospel, we will not do justice to the justice that God is calling us to live. Do we sit where people sit? That's the invitation for us today as followers of Jesus. Let me invite you to close your eyes. Invite the worship team to come forward. Maybe today you're filled with bitterness and anger like Ezekiel was. About the world, about injustice, about what to do. But God is speaking to you today. Where are the hard parts of your heart that Jesus wants to begin to melt? He wants to begin to transform. Today is an opportunity to say, Lord, I give you my anger and bitterness. I give you, Lord, all of that which 
is blocking in many respects what you're trying to do. Lord, we want to work for justice. We want to do it in your way, though. And so move, Holy Spirit, in this place. May we be agents of justice of your kingdom of God. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. Lord, we sing to you now words of praise and worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's all stand. Let's sing together. Let's have the prayer team come to my left. As we sang that last song there, I want to be where you are. Here's the question. Where is Jesus? I'll tell you. If you think Jesus is just simply at the right hand of the Father, then it just becomes, Lord, transport me there. And we want an encounter with the living Jesus. But I'll tell you where Jesus is, where else he's at. Jesus is among the poor and the powerless. Where are you? He's among the poor and the and if Jesus is among the poor and the powerless, and we say, I want to be where you are, then the church needs to be with the poor and the powerless. Amen. Amen. Where is Jesus? Unless we, uh, if we just keep Jesus at, in heaven, and not know that the Spirit of Jesus is here because He sent the Spirit as well. Then it just becomes a worship service. And we're fine just talking to Jesus. But if He's among the poor and the powerless. And so here's the invitation. Some of you in this room, you're poor and you're powerless. And Jesus is with you. Some of you economically poor, trying to figure out how am I going to get through this next week. Jesus is with you. Some of you just powerless in life. Jesus is with you. And we are reminded that he is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the poor. Jesus is with you. And we want to pray if you're feeling that poverty of spirit or that poverty of economics. And we want to trust that you are in the hands of God. We want to pray with you and, and sense what the Spirit wants to say to you today. But here's the, also the invitation. There are a lot of people out there that are poor and powerless and Jesus is there and we just saying I want to be where you are Lord question is Lord what does it mean to move close that's the question what does it mean to move close and I pray that that's the question you'll be wrestling with this week and as God leads you may you move towards that are poor and powerless whether in your workplace in your neighborhood in your family wherever the Holy Spirit leads you May we be where Jesus is. Amen. We have the Lord's table to my right. Will we come and take bread and dip it in the cup and remind it that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He moved towards us. And we take bread and we dip it in the cup. And as we take it in, we're essentially saying, Lord, would you make me like you? Help me to move towards those broken and poor and powerless. And we have our prayer team here. However, we can pray for you. God's spirit is in this place and he wants to set you free. And lastly, if you're not even a Christian today, maybe you're not even a Christian, you just came to the doors, but you feel powerless today, powerless over sin, 
powerless of our circumstances. Jesus is calling you by name right now. And if you sense him calling your name, he wants to save you and rescue you, forgive you of your sins, offer you new life. And if you sense Jesus calling your name today, you can come forward to receive prayer as well. But as we close, we invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Knowing that the favor of God, the love of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit is here and wants to transform everyone in this room. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, moving close to others, sitting where they sit. May you experience the power of God as you do so. And so I bless you today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen. Amen.